0: My name is Grant Wilkie. If we haven't had the pleasure of meeting yet, it's so good to be here here with you tonight. Uh, Like I said, my name is Grant Wilkie. I have a new life in Christ. I am recovering from pride, perfectionism, and performance, and this week, anxiety. Uh, That's uh, the the hard things about me, but if you wanna know something that I love about myself, it's that I love to host people. Y'all, I love having people over, and my entire life, I've been a host. So if you look where my house was growing up in my neighborhood, my house is right here and all of my friends' houses were in a pretty much perfect circle around me. So every day after school, everyone would congregate at my house. All the time we'd go through our groceries, we'd throw some pizza rolls in and I'd host people. It was so much fun. And I thought that I was a great host until I met my wife. Y'all, I got married about six months ago to a Zone own administrative queen, Lois. She's incredible, she's way out of my league. Men marry up, it's a great thing. Uh, But I thought I was a great host until I met Lois. My idea of a charcuterie board before I met Lois started with lunch and ended with a bull. And Lois, on the other hand, could name 15 cheeses from Trader Joe's that she's ready to try off the top of her head. We recently hosted some friends for dinner and Lois, randomly concocted, uh, I have to read this because it's so absurd, these red wine marinade filet mignon crostinis with a light dusting of homemade basil sugar as a last-minute appetizer. I didn't even know basil sugar was a thing. And if we're hosting people, uh, here's what's going through my wife's head. Are the dishes done? Are the pillows, are the decorative pillows and the couch in the right place? Do we have gluten-free options? Did you mop? Why didn't you mop? I told you to mop. Did you preheat the oven? Uh, Is the toilet bowl clean? Do we have fresh flowers? Oh my gosh, they're here. I'm so excited. And when you're a host, guys, your entire mindset changes. You're concerned with different things. You aren't worried about whether or not you can get the last filet mignon crostini. Lois wasn't. I absolutely was worried about that. But I shouldn't have been. I should have been worried about whether or not our guests we're satisfied, if they're comfortable, if they're happy. And the fact that we're the host of the party changes the way that I and everybody else sees my identity, who I am, and my role, what I do. If I'm a guest, then I'm a consumer. But if I'm a host, I'm a steward. I either take or I give. And in the context of dinner parties, y'all, guests and hosts have their place but when we start thinking about our personal lives, things get a little tougher because think about this, many of ourselves would call ourselves Christians and we wear the label, we come to region, we go to church, we read our Bibles, we throw a Bible verse on in our Instagram bio and we tell people we'll pray for them when we hear something sad's going on in their lives. But Christians do these things, but being a Christian isn't about doing these things. It's about Jesus. And when we follow Jesus, everything about our life changes. Not just our actions, but everything changes. Our relationships change. Our lives change. What we're worried about changes. And if we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, it means that we are no longer guests in this world. But we're hosts. Our worldview changes. What we're worried about Changes what we need, what we want, what we think, what we feel, what we do, changes everything, changes. And when just like the host has a different identity than the guest, the Christian has a different identity and a different role than the non believer. And my goal tonight, Regen, is to help us see that the Christian life is at its simplest one defined by selfless sacrifice. We are given a new role and a new identity in Jesus Christ. And that leads us to sacrifice ourselves. Let me pray. God, would you help me get out of the way? Would you use me? Father, would you help us see your example of selfless sacrifice, that you loved us so much that you would go to the cross, that you would die so that we might know life. Father, we love you. Let me pray. Amen. I'll be covering a giant chunk of scripture. I have about 15 minutes to cover chapter 13 through 16, so we'll see if I can do it. But before we go to chapter 13, we have to jump back to chapter 12, which Bryce did an excellent job of covering last week. Because if you don't understand chapter 12, you cannot understand chapters 13 through 16. Here are the first two verses of chapter 12. It says, "'I appeal to you therefore, brothers, "'by the mercies of God, "'to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. As simply as I can say it, if we call ourselves Christians, if we're in Christ, we our lives, our thoughts, our actions, our doings, everything about us is a living sacrifice to God. And our lives are no longer about us. They're no longer about our goals, our achievements, our desires, our dreams, our accomplishments. Because our lives are about Jesus. It's about making his name great. And if we don't understand this central aspect of chapter 12, nothing I'm going to say will make sense. High level, here's what to expect from chapters 13 through 16. I can't cover the entire thing, but here's three main takeaways I want us to get. Number one, that Christians submit. Number two, that Christians sacrifice. And number three, that being a Christian is made possible by Jesus. So Christians submit, Christians sacrifice, and being a Christian is made possible by Jesus. Jumping into chapter 13, let's look at the first two verses. Christians submit. It says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. The simple point from this is that God is just, and that justice is God's to determine. Uh, as Christians, we're called the light of the world. We're called ambassadors of Christ, and we're called to represent God to this world and join in God's mission in bringing justice and love and peace and joy to this world. We represent God here on earth and God uses us for his plans. Romans 13 also tells us that God likes to use the worldly governments. Uh, However unbelievable that might be sometimes, God loves to use the worldly governments to exact his justice. And so to break the law is to rebel against God's own authority. And Christians are in a unique situation uh, first and foremost, before we are American, before we're Texan, before we are any other allegiance that you can think of, we are, we're Christians. And our primary allegiance is to the kingdom of heaven. We're first citizens of heaven, and second citizens of uh, Texas. And praise God that we are citizens of Texas. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Amen. Thank you. Uh guys, insofar far. As the laws of the land uh, do not contradict with the laws of heaven, we follow the law. And insofar as being a citizen of America does not hinder my citizenship in heaven, I follow the law. But notice what Paul says. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. He doesn't say the word obedient, but rather he says subject. And why is that? I think it's really crucial that he says that because blind obedience means being a yes man. What if the law required you to sin? Not just simply what if the law allows for sin, as in abortion. The law allows for people to go get abortions. But what if the law required you to go sin? For instance, what if the law required you to return a runaway slave to slavery? Like America did uh, before the Civil War. What if it required you to turn in your lifelong neighbor and best friend to the Nazis simply because they were Jewish? Here, if you blindly obeyed man, Regen, we would be disobeying God. So Paul strategically uses the word subject rather than obedient, because to be subject means to be submissive, to put ourselves under the authority of something. And if we'll disobey the law because of our Christian convictions, it's not just a get out of jail free card. Uh, We're still responsible for our actions. Our faith does not just simply get us away from this world, but we still have to live in it. It says, you would still be subject to the penalties of breaking the law if we were required to do so. However, if we disobeyed man to obey God, we would be free from the penalty of breaking God's law, which is death. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. And so the penalty for breaking man's law are fines and time. But the penalty for breaking God's law is death. And so insofar as we can be citizens of Texas of America, we should. But our ultimate allegiance is to God and to our citizenship in heaven. First we submit to God and then we submit to government. Christians submit. The next point which Paul will cover in chapter 14 is that Christians Sacrifice, Christians sacrifice, and in chapter fourteen, Paul will cover the relationship uh, between Christian and Christian, brother to brother, sister to sister. What happens if our convictions and our beliefs don't line up with another Christian, with another uh, the convictions of another believer? Here's why this practically matters for you. Back in Romans twelve, we get this powerful admonition from Paul, and it's beautiful. He says, "Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another." and showing honor. Not only are we to sacrifice our lives for God, but we are to sacrifice our honor and our preferences for the honor and preferences of others. Now, s- some issues in the Christian life are really simple. You can think of the, the 10 commandments, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. But other issues are kind of gray. For instance, some people think that smoking and drinking are always sinful by their very nature. Other people think that these are fine in moderation. And some people see shooter games like Call of Duty as always sinful, and some youth groups offer them for their kids. My voice is cracked. That's fun. Some see secular music as sinful and unwise. Other people love a little bit of Drake here and there. And I'm not even going to touch to vax or not to vax. When Christian convictions are a really tricky thing because if you're walking with God and if you're allowing the word of God into your life, your convictions are probably informed in some way or another by the word of God and by the character of God, at least in part. Because it's really easy to make a line and letter argument that anything is permissible or that anything is sinful. Listen to Romans 14 two. This is right after, this is the second verse of the chapter. It says, one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person only eats vegetables. What does that sound like? Vegetarians, y'all weak. That's not what he's saying at all. That, has, that is not his argument. But I'm saying this because you can make it sound like the Bible is saying anything. You can make it sound like the Bible is very black and white about something when in reality, it might not be. And so how do we deal with these gray issues, these non-black and white issues? If we disagree with a brother, on whether or not something is sinful or unhelpful, what do we do? If my best friend is a recovering alcoholic, should I drink around them? Would that be a helpful or a loving thing to do for them? No. Romans 14, 13 says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. And there are two key ideas here. First, The idea is that we cannot look down on people with different convictions than us. That's not what we're called to do. Uh, If something is gray, it is okay to hold a conviction really firmly and believe that you are right, but it is not okay to look down on other people who have different convictions than you. And secondly, the other idea here is that we cannot do anything as believers that would make a brother stumble. We're called to not put a stumbling block in front of other people. For instance, if I know that my coworker would really prefer if I wore a mask when I met with them, should I do that? Yes. Why? Because I love them, because it makes them feel safe. And sometimes I have to sacrifice my convictions for compassion's sake. Christians sacrifice their own preferences to care for those around them. This isn't called weak in being your, in, this isn't called being weak in your convictions. It's called being compassionate and kind and loving and gentle and humble and sacrificial makes us like Jesus. And this is what Romans 14, 17 says, and this drives the point home more than anything I could say. It says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and of peace and of joy in the Holy Spirit. In these gray areas, Regen, God is less concerned with what you're doing and more concerned with why you are doing it. Are you doing this out of a desire to honor God, to care for those around you, do you sacrifice your preferences in the gray so that other people may be comfortable? Do you do it so you can love your brother or do you hold fast out of selfishness? Simply put, Christians sacrifice. First, we sacrifice our lives to God, Romans 12:1, and then we sacrifice our honor for the honor of others. And this final point, which kind of sums up these last two chapters, like I said, we have four chapters and I really have three points. So this last two chapters can be summed up uh, really simply in one thought. And this thought is really crucial to understanding not only Paul's argument for the rest of the book, but understanding the Christian life itself. How can I, as a sinful and wretched man, who by himself is solely devoted to himself and his sin and his own desires. How can I, the chief among sinners, how can I hope to do what Paul is calling me to, what Christ compels me to? How can I hope to even live like this? And the answer is simple. It's humbling, but it's simple. The answer is that being a Christian is made possible by Jesus. It's not about what I do. It's not about what I can do because I can't do anything. It's about following Jesus. Being a Christian is made possible by Jesus. Listen to Paul's words in Romans 15, verse seven. He says, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Christ welcomed us. What does that actually mean? God loved you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross, come down from perfect heaven to come to sinful earth, take on flesh, live a perfect life, die a death he did not deserve, be Crucified by sinful mankind, his own creation, and died. He sacrificed his life to welcome us into the family of God. He submitted to the Father by going to the cross and he sacrificed his life for us on the cross so that we might live. So if you're having a hard time submitting or having a hard time sacrificing for others, don't be ashamed. It just means you are human. You can't do it alone because being a Christian is made possible by Jesus himself. And the only solution to our selfishness is to follow the only and the truest example of humility in Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. Without Christ, we could not be Christian. That is to be Christ-like. Christ empowers us to submit to God and to sacrifice for others. Christ is the only way we can make it to God. As simply as I can say it, Being a Christian is made possible by Jesus. It's not by not watching porn. It's not by not cheating on your wife. It's not by not having anxiety. It's not by not having an eating disorder. It's not by not being depressed. It's not by doing good things or going to church or reading your Bible or doing anything. It's about following Jesus and submitting to him in humility. Being a Christian is made possible by Jesus. Jesus Christ crucified. Just because something is possible doesn't mean it'll happen. Theoretically, like I mentioned earlier, there is this thing called basil sugar that exists. But if I leave and someone asks me to make some basil sugar, I'm probably gonna make some spinach sugar because I don't know that I could tell the difference between spinach and basil. And and just because it's theoretically possible doesn't mean that it will actually happen. Possibility does not mean practicality whether it's making basil sugar or following Jesus. And think about it in your own life. It might be possible that you'd stop watching pornography or you'd stop yelling at your wife or your husband, that you'd be free from anxiety, self-harm, the shame of abuse. But how do we move from this possibility to the practicality of freedom? The possibility of knowing and walking with Jesus and the practicality of doing it. The answer is that knowledge must move from the head to the heart. And it's not enough to just intellectually believe that God exists, but we must live it and follow Jesus and submit to him. Jesus's example is the only thing that both makes it possible and practical. And we're at the very end of the story of Romans, but I wanna walk us through just a basic overview of what the story of Romans is. If you guys have been with us for a little while, you've sat through 16 chapters of teaching. So you know this story, but just to put it simply, here's the story of Romans. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is a problem. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is a death. There's a problem and there is a penalty. But Romans 5.8 says that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's a problem and there's a penalty. But God has given us a solution. And so how do we accept this solution? Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the heart one believes and is justified, and the mouth one confesses and is saved. And this is how God made salvation and being a Christian possible. We sinned, God saved us in his love through Jesus Christ. Christ, And all we have to do is to believe and to accept that gift. But taking this from possibility to practicality, look back at Romans 15, verse seven. It says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Regent, if we want to move from possibility to practicality, we have to welcome one another as God in Jesus Christ has welcomed us. We have to be willing to submit and to sacrifice, and to give up our lives, not only for God, but for each other. It says that the world will know the church by the way that we love each other. How are we doing that? Let Jesus be your example as you seek to live righteously in a dark and a broken world. Christians submit, Christians sacrifice, and being a Christian is made possible only by Jesus. And this is the gospel. And I believe this, and I believe that many of you do as well. And in a second, I'm going to invite my friend Morgan up here to share her testimony. And I know that she believes this. But to go back to the very beginning of the book of Romans, to set her up, I know that she believes in the gospel. I know that she has put her life and her, her emotions and everything she believes into the fact that the gospel is true and that God loves her. And so as an encouragement, as she comes up, let me go back to the first chapter of the book of Romans as an encouragement to her and as an exhortation to myself and everyone else in the crowd. Let us not be ashamed, my brothers. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Everyone means everyone. It doesn't matter why you are in here, whether you are a murderer or whether you are addicted to pornography. Anything out there, God can save anyone. I am not ashamed of this gospel and I believe it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Humbling. Humbling. So often we use other things to make us closer, to make us closer to God. We believe that our good works, we believe that our image, we believe that so many things can bring us into God. But it says right here, only the gospel can. Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. I believe this. I know many of you guys do. And I know our friend Morgan does. Y'all join me in welcoming Morgan to the stage.